Welcome to our listeners. This is a new podcast called A Day in the Life, brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation, also known as the IMF. We hope that this Day in the Life podcast will provide inspiration and messages of resilience for patients and caregivers from all walks of life. We recorded our first interview with Jen Curran on February 21st, 2020. Jen was the opening speaker at the IMF's 13th annual comedy celebration in Los Angeles, where she shared her story of being diagnosed and now living with myeloma. Jen Kern is a writer and comedian living in Los Angeles with her husband, one-year-old daughter, and too many pets. Listen now to hear the full interview. All right, well, just going to start with um, talking a little bit about the talk you gave at our comedy celebration. I listened to it online, and I know you talked a lot about what the diagnosis process was for you, which was a misdiagnosis at first. Um, But for people who are listening for the first time, if you could share with us how you were diagnosed with myeloma. So I um, had a baby, actually, uh, a year ago, almost exactly. Her birthday was yesterday, so she turned a year. Um, And I had her... Um, after trying to get pregnant for quite a while, so we were so excited, and and the pregnancy was going along great, but then there ended up being um, um, I had high blood pressure and I had protein in my urine, which they call preeclampsia when that happens during pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, and they're always checking that stuff because of the potential for you to get preeclampsia. So they were testing me all the time, and the stuff started coming up positive, and so they started to get really concerned because the levels of the blood pressure and the protein in my urine were just not matching up, and it seemed like something else was out of whack. So even though they called it preeclampsia, um, I had a high-risk OB who basically said, you know, I'm really concerned about what we're seeing here and you need to go get tested as soon as the baby is born. So they took it really seriously and they put me on bed rest for the end of this pregnancy. I was on bed rest for three months, which was awful. And I mean, I guess I shouldn't say it was awful. It wasn't so bad. (laughs) I got to lay around and watch TV and do puzzles, which, which could have been worse. But so after the baby was born and she was born without problem, they induced her a little bit early because they were really concerned about all these levels they were seeing. I I went probably about two months after she was born to a kidney doctor to get this protein in my urine that was not going away. And and when you have preeclampsia, it's supposed to basically be cured as soon as you deliver the baby. And mine was not. I went to a kidney doctor, but I didn't go to someone that I got referred to. I just basically looked someone up in my insurance because I thought it was going to be in and out, no big deal, that she would tell me the protein was dissipating and everything was fine. So I went to this kidney doctor. My baby was two months old and I loved her with me and they tested my urine again. And when the results came back, it was not at all what I had expected, which was that I thought the protein was going to either be going headed down or be gone completely. She said it's still there and it's even higher than it was when you were pregnant. I was very concerned about that and talking to her about what do you think it is and this and that. And she definitely looked, she looked confused like she didn't know what was going on which was very concerning Mm -hmm. to me because you know you want your doctor to seem like they've at least seen a case like this before but she seemed really perplexed and after she thought about it for a while she basically turned to me and said "Um, I don't think there's anything wrong I think you just need to lose weight 
So go home and start dieting and exercising, take the baby on walk. You know, she kind of gave me this whole speech about don't, you know, eat less sodium, don't eat stuff from a box. And it was a very jarring conversation mm-hmm. because I truly thought that there was something else going on. And it, it felt really like, oh, that's all this is. I don't know. That doesn't sound right to me. And so she told me she didn't want to see me back for four months. And so I went home and started to think about this idea of dieting and exercising. And I had a brand new baby and I was not mentally in a place where I wanted to start dieting. And, you know, I had started to really think that dieting wasn't so healthy. And, and so it just, all of it was really coming into conflict with itself. So I finally decided to go get a second opinion probably about two weeks later. Just because I felt like something is up. I don't like this. We wanted to start trying to have another baby pretty soon. And I knew I needed to get this protein taken care of if I was going to get pregnant again. So long story short, I went to this other doctor and she instantly said, oh my gosh, this is very worrisome and there's nothing that diet or exercise or losing weight could do to help this these lab results I'm seeing and we need to get, give you a kidney biopsy right away. So that was very relieving to me because I felt like someone was finally taking this situation seriously. Mm-hmm. That was It was sort of a long experience. You know, I think a lot of people go through this when you get diagnosed with cancer. You certainly don't find out the day after they run the test. Uh, you know, she runs the test and then at first everything comes, I have to go overnight in the hospital and the first everything comes back, fine, you're healthy, the kidneys are great, there's no problem. Uh, we're going to do some additional testing to figure out what's going on, but we'll let you know. And then of course, this additional testing when they do whatever, you know, look closer in whatever microscope they have to use, shows that I had something called Kappa light chains. And that's basically a type of multiple myeloma when you have um, too many light chains, which is just a part of the immune system as far as I understand it. So not everyone has light chain myeloma. I particularly did. And she was a kidney doctor, not an oncologist. So she was just telling me, I think this might be cancer or some other disorder. It's very serious. And I'm going to refer you to an oncologist. So I get referred to the oncologist and, you know, those are big words, obviously, oncologist, cancer, you know, this could, you could have to have a lifetime of treatment was what I knew going in there. And then that doctor had to do a bunch of tests and do a bone marrow biopsy and first he thought it was something else and back and forth and this and that. And finally, I would say probably two or three months after I went in for the initial test, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. It took quite a while for them to figure that out, but then they did get to the bottom of it. And so I started treatment in August of this past year of 2019. And what is it, if you're open about it, what type of treatment are you undergoing? Yeah, so the treatment is, I actually ended up uh, leaving that first oncologist I was with. I was not a huge fan of his. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, um, we just had like, there was just a few things that kept coming up that were red flags to me. Um, and one of them was that I wanted to have some eggs retrieved. I'm young. I'm, I was only 38 at the time I was being diagnosed. And I wanted to see if I could do some um, preserving of my fertility. And he kind of like told me some untruths about it and caused some problems for me in trying to do that. And it turned out there was actually a charity, uh, an organization that helped cancer patients with uh, of reproductive age preserve their fertility. And mm-hmm. so I got a lot of it paid for by this great organization, organization called Livestrong that was able to do that for me. And so there's a ton of support out there, just a sidebar for anyone who's still of reproductive age who wants to do some fertility preservation before they start treatment. There's a ton of financial support available. And so... Once I figured that all out and decided that this wasn't the right doctor for me, I started with a different doctor who's fantastic, and I like him a lot. His name's Dr. Berenson. The treatment he put me on is, um, they call it DVD. So it's a drug called Doxo. I think the whole name of it is Doxo Rubicin or something like that. Yeah. Yes. 
Velcade yeah. Next. And then I take Velcade uh, and then also dexamethasone, which mm-hmm. is a steroid. So that's the treatment I've been on since August. And I finished my seventh cycle of it um, a couple weeks ago. And I'll be going in uh, in just a few days to find out if I have to do an eighth cycle or if they're going to put me on maintenance or what the deal is. Because all my numbers have been going down, which is excellent. And he says I'm in partial remission at least. So uh, listening to you, a couple of questions come up. I'm going to start with this one because we first talked a little bit about your diagnosis. You were a great advocate for yourself as a patient and you seem to be still. What kind of advice would you give to other myeloma patients who might feel they're not being understood by healthcare professionals who are advising them? How can they advocate for themselves better? Yeah, well, it's so important uh, with any illness, condition, medical, anything that you have to be double and triple checking your doctors, even if it's just a common cold. And I would not have said that before having this experience, but mm-hmm. being diagnosed with cancer and going through the medical industry as it exists right now to find that out has been very humbling for me because it's made me realize that these a lot of these doctors, especially when you get into the more serious, complicated diseases, just really don't know a ton about what's exactly going on. And I think we all like to believe that, you know, doctors, they know what they're doing. They, they've memorized the textbook. They've been to school for however long. But I think once you get into, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, the upper echelon of some of what they can treat you for in life, you know, serious, deadly cancers, some of them they don't know a ton about. Mm-hmm. And so that was really surprising for me as a young woman in the world just trying to get this all figured out. And especially coming out of having a baby where, again, there's a lot that they don't know about. You know, they don't know a lot about preeclampsia as it relates to pregnancy. And so it it just the whole experience made me really conscious of needing to just be another set of eyes on my own lab results and be another brain behind what exactly might be going on. So what I would tell other myeloma patients and have told other people who I've encountered in this experience who are being diagnosed after I was is a piece of advice I got, which is find an expert in exactly what you have. So, you know, I thought that the first oncologist I saw, he was actually a hematologist oncologist. And I thought because he had that extra word, in his title, that that was somehow, you know, enough for multiple myeloma, but it really wasn't. He's an expert in hematology, in in blood cancer, but he's not necessarily an expert in multiple myeloma. And I would never have known that. It didn't cross my mind. I didn't know there were experts in particular types of cancer. So it wasn't until I found my doctor, who is uh, someone who just deals with multiple myeloma, essentially, that I started to really feel like I was with somebody who knew exactly what was going on. Um, because the first doctor I saw, although he has dealt with blood cancer, he just in his energy seemed a lot more concerned about what he was seeing than he actually needed to be. So when I got with the doctor I have now, he was sort of like, this is not a five alarm fire. I think you're going to do just fine. And that sort of all played out exactly as he said. And it was very scary to be in this office with this first doctor I had, the first oncologist I had who kind of seemed like he was worried, like he thought I was maybe not going to survive this. So that would be my my advice beyond find an expert uh, in, in multiple myeloma, but also find someone who you feel really, really comfortable with and whose energy and attitude about what you're doing aligns with yours. I think that's so, so important because I'm just someone who believes that you have to also fight this thing mentally, meaning you have to have a good attitude about it. You have to believe that you're strong enough to beat it. You have to believe that your life is going to continue after this. And I think you need that energy in a doctor too. So 
that's really, to me, the most important thing is, is selecting somebody who you really trust. And in the beginning, I wasn't so sure because I was so shaken by the idea that I had cancer. Mm-hmm. So I was just going to hook up with this other guy and he wanted to start treatment immediately. And I was just like, great, let's do it. Where do I sign? Okay, come in Monday morning. But my husband was actually the person who pumped the brakes because he was like, you know, this is a big deal, this getting chemotherapy and having all this medicine start to course through your body. So let's make sure we're really comfortable with somebody. And luckily, we were able to get in with somebody that we really liked before I started treatment with the other person. So, you know, I think it's also very scary to get a diagnosis like this. Not everybody knows what multiple myeloma even is. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily a word that you hear a lot in the world. Bone marrow cancer or immune system cancer, you know, I've heard it referred to as all of those things. And that's not something you hear a lot. We hear a lot about breast cancer, but you just don't hear a lot about this. So I know it can be so, so terrifying. And there's a sense from maybe 20, 30 years ago that this is a death sentence. And so I think that people who are diagnosed with multiple myeloma should be aware that the treatments and research and what they're able to do to get this into remission, although there isn't a cure for it, has just come so incredibly far in the last decade. And that there's really a lot of hope for this just being a chronic illness that you have to treat for most of your life and for maybe them finding a cure, you know, uh, in the next chunk of time, that would be excellent for me at least. <laughs> so yeah, that's my advice is to not think that these doctors are God himself. I think it's really important. And also it sounds like, I mean, you obviously have a lot on your pit plate. You're going through chemo. You're a new mom. Um, you're married. Yeah. And I also understand that you are a co-director and founder of the Ruby Theater here in LA. Just how do you balance it all? How's your how's myeloma affected how you balance your life with all these different hats you're wearing? I'll say that I was, it sounds crazy to say I was lucky that I got cancer when I had a new baby, but I do feel lucky in the sense that I was already in this upheaval of life. I, I was already in a stage of life that I hadn't experienced before. This is my first kid. I had no idea what to expect. I was already not sleeping enough and trying to figure out what the days were going to look like. So for this to happen in the middle of all of that, although of course I would never have wanted that to be the case, it made it a little simpler for me because I knew I just had had to make a couple more adjustments to this new normal because, you know, my daughter and I really hadn't settled into any kind of serious routine when I was diagnosed. She was only a few months old. So it's been super challenging, of course, but I've had so much unbelievable support from my friends and family. And just it's been unbelievable and incredible to see the community around me who I would not have said, you know, the day before I got this information, I would not have said, oh, everyone I know will rally around. I'm not the type of person who posts a photo with 10 other people on my Instagram and says, this is my squad. You know, I'm just (laughs) not that person. And I was really overjoyed and so relieved and grateful that the people who I do love and who are around me, although I wouldn't have said hashtag squad or best girl group or whatever it is about the people in my life, they really have been unbelievable in supporting us. So helping us raise money so that we could have a little bit of a cushion for all these medical bills and also helping us with childcare and donating their time and bringing us food and so many amazing things. So that's really how I've been able to balance it is a ton of help from people. And my mom lives in Illinois but she comes every month since our baby was born and, and through this whole first year to help us out and just make sure that she gets some eyes on her granddaughter and that I'm doing okay and that I have a little bit of support for a few days. So that's really how I've been able to balance it all. But I think the other thing besides really allowing myself to rely on my community and being willing to ask for help when I need it 
has been just having a kind of like can do attitude about it. And again, I'm not somebody who would have said that about myself before this, that I'm, you know, going to have a positive attitude and fight this thing head on. This wasn't my personality, but that is how I truly feel about it. And that's how I've been able to get through this. It's not ideal to be driving to chemo with a baby in the backseat, but can I do it? Yeah. It's not ideal to have to try to find daycare and be on steroids and worry about whether or not I'm going to live another decade. It's not ideal to do all that, but I can do it and and I'm up for it. And that's actually something that a good friend of mine told me when I was going through the process of getting diagnosed. She has a new baby too, and I was Mm -hmm. hemming and hawing and worrying. And and she said to me, you know, this totally sucks, but you're up for it. And I thought that was such a kind, earnest thing to say, because I do feel that as much as I would not have asked for this to happen, I'm up for it. I can handle it. Let's do it. What What's next? was my feeling. So I have let some of the, you know, I was in the world of comedy and entertainment and working on TV and all that kind of stuff before uh, I had my baby. So I have let some of that kind of fall to the wayside. I haven't been really participating in a lot of that stuff as much as I would have in the past. Um, And I do think you have to be really, what's the word, really decisive about what you can put your energy toward and what you have to say no to. And that's true for all of us and for motherhood, but more true than ever for me with having to deal with cancer also. I just have to say no and not worry about it when it's something I don't think I can take on and be aware that all I have to do right now is raise my baby and heal from this, hopefully fight this cancer and heal from this experience. When I can get that in, in at the forefront of my mind, it makes it a lot easier. That's great. I wanted to share a couple of quotes from you from other patients. One of them is yelling Biru, he's our, one of our board members here at the International Myeloma Foundation, and he's been living with myeloma for over 25 years. He was diagnosed when he was just 25. And, wow. and yeah, one of the things he said is, we are not our disease. And another myeloma patient, uh, her name is Valerie Trainum, said, myeloma is something I have. It doesn't have me. So, around, so I just wanted to share those quotes with you and see if they resonate with you, the idea of you're not your disease and it's something you have and it doesn't have you. How do you approach myeloma in your life and living with it and living with who you are as Jen? Well, I think one of the small blessings about myeloma is that it doesn't, the treatment for it doesn't seem to be so damaging to every aspect of your life the way aggressive breast cancer treatment or lung cancer treatment would be. So I feel really grateful that I get to walk around there. There's not times when I forget I have cancer, but I can let it fall to the back of my mind. It definitely resonates with me to hear people having said that they have myeloma, it doesn't have them. It's such a beautiful concept because I think it's so important after you get through, you know, it takes over your whole life to find out that you have cancer and then to move through those early days, figuring out the exact diagnosis and then the early days of what's the treatment going to look like. And there's so much waiting and so much, you're almost in a purgatory. How is the treatment going to feel? Now I'm in treatment. How's my body going to respond to it? And there's so much that has it take over your whole life. And as I move through this process of hopefully the active treatment stage being behind me, I do think a lot about what it's going to look like five, 10 years from now when my daily experience is not necessarily clouded all the time by the idea that I have multiple myeloma. Mm -hmm. And I I love thinking about, you know, the notion that it won't be my whole life or that it doesn't define exactly who I am. Because right now it does feel a little to me like (laughs) 
is the big definer of who I am, if only because I'm having to think about it so much and go to treatment so often. And, you know, it's only been a few months really since I was diagnosed. So mm-hmm. that it's very inspiring to me to hear that people mentally get to move to that place because I, I don't quite think I'm there yet, but I look forward to that. That's great. And I'm just going to close with this question. And it's a theme that we have this month is Myeloma Action Month. You've kind of already touched on this with your personality and with your attitude. Our theme for this month is the idea of resilience and the capacity to adapt to to new challenges and the capacity to adapt to change. As a myeloma patient and as, as a person, what does the essence of resilience mean to you? The essence of resiliency to me is choosing to move forward. A lot of what my experience was in the first finding out I had protein that they were worried about in my urine all the way to getting diagnosed, which was a very long process for me, all of that required a daily act of resiliency and almost a choice mm-hmm. to get up again and look this thing in the face again without allowing it to take me over mentally. And I absolutely had a you know few days of, of real sadness and a pity party when I first started hearing words like cancer from these doctors. Um, you know, because I had a new baby. So it sent me for sure into a tailspin. But after I let myself feel all those feelings, I got to the point of knowing that the only way to move through this was to simply get up every day and choose to keep moving through it and to look around and have a sense of gratitude for all that I do have, which is incredible. There's so much around me to be grateful for, not just my family, but you know, the medical community as a whole and how much they've been able to achieve so that I'm walking into the front door with so much information and a real sense that I might might be able to go into remission with this. The idea of being resilient has been so, so important to me, especially being a, a young woman and a, a young mother has been so essential to me to grab onto and hold on to that on a day-to-day-to-day basis. And so I love that you guys are focusing on that because I think that's so important in being a cancer patient and going through cancer treatment is choosing to have that sense of a can-do attitude. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be happy all the time. That's not what resiliency is, but it's a choice to fight another day and to let the battles of the day before kind of roll off your back. And I think that's something that a lot of people who have battled any type of cancer can relate to Mm -hmm. is that every day can seem like a battle or that there's something terrible that happened yesterday, some battle with an insurance company or some stressful issue or medicine that didn't work or a procedure that was more painful than you expected. And it becomes very quickly becomes things that would have been the most exciting thing that happened to you in a whole year is now just a part of another week when you're dealing with something like multiple myeloma. And or, or any type of cancer, honestly. And so I think that for all the things that we tell cancer patients they should focus on, you know, being positive and the right diet and getting some exercise and having loved ones, I do think the idea of being brave and courageous and, and allowing yourself to be someone who's adaptable and resilient, because we all have that. We all have a store within us, that level of courage. You just might not know it. It just might not be that something has asked you to do that yet. And that was the case for me, you know, not having lived seven decades of life when this information (laughs) came into my world, I had, you know, this is, it's a new idea for me to uh, get up every day and 
and move through something so challenging. So it really quickly grew me up as a person and made me start to really look at life in a different way. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think everything you've said is very admirable and it's going to inspire so many of our patients. I want to thank you so much for your time. And is there, oh, anything, is there anything else that we didn't touch upon in just the few questions that we had or that you would like to share with anybody just about your experience or anything that you feel would inspire others? I know that a lot of people who have multiple myeloma are older, but I would definitely say that it was shocking to me to get this diagnosis as a young person, and it's made me more aware of how many people really do get a cancer diagnosis before the age of 40. So I would just say as much as multiple myeloma is something that tends to affect people who are older, be on top of your physicals regardless of your age. And especially if you're young and you think that you're someone that doesn't need to do that, get yourself checked out. It's not just breast cancer for women. There's so much out there that can happen to us. And that doesn't mean you need to be a hypochondriac or be afraid, but don't skip your exams. And and if a lab result looks weird, ask a second question and a third question and ask for a a follow-up test. Don't assume that just because you're not 65 years old that you can't have something serious happen to your body. That would just be the a little thing that I would want to say to people who are my age is, is don't think that you're immune to this stuff and make sure you get yourself checked out. This has been A Day in the Life with Jen Curran, brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. For information on multiple myeloma and other patient stories, visit myeloma.org.